And welcome back to another episode, everyone. This is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic, and today I've got Sarah Henning with me. Sarah, introduce yourself to the folks listening. Hi, uh, I'm Sarah. I run a business called Shiftive, which is focused on um, helping businesses successfully navigate the dynamics of multiple generations in the workforce. And um, I also do career coaching for typically millennials Mm -hmm. and starting to work with Gen Z. Cool. So uh, when you say career coaching, elaborate a little bit more on that, because I think a lot of folks, so it's, it's almost a catch all term in in a lot of ways. So, so dive in a little deeper on that. Yeah. So what I like to specialize in, in the work that I do with people is helping people figure out um, how they can find the right profession to help them feel really true to themselves and maximize their potential by leveraging their strengths. So, um, it's not necessarily uh, headhunting and finding a job for them, but instead doing some self-discovery, looking at previous work experience, uh, looking at things that they know to be true about themselves professionally, but also um, taking a step back and looking at what do they know about themselves on a human level too, and looking at are the right connections being made in their current place of work, or is it time for a change? Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because the topic we're going to talk about today primarily is uh, why we hate millennials. Yeah. And I know you've done several <laughs> talks on that. So uh, I am really curious and really excited. And I th- and I, we thought it'd be fun for the format to be, you know, I'll obviously ask questions and facilitate the conversation, but I'm also going to react to some of the just studies and findings that you have, uh, because I know you've given this talk several times. So if you had to give the people listening to us uh, a 10,000-foot view of why we hate millennials. Why do we hate millennials? Well, here's the tricky part of that exact point and title, which is we don't hate millennials, or at least we don't hate them any more than we've hated any previous generation that's really coming of age. Okay. Um, but what's interesting is you responded to the title a lot like previous clients who've asked me to come speak on this topic, which is, oh, it caught my attention and I want to grab it. Yeah. The title of this presentation and talk and the general sort of subtopics that fall under it that I do corporate trainings on or, or large group speaking events on um, used to be called The Value of Millennials. Okay. Very different. <laughs> very different. Very, very different. And when I would share sort of my list of... Uh, of topics or sort of jump off points for helping, you know, businesses and organizations decide what they wanted me to come present on that would get a couple hits in general. And then as I was doing research for it, um, one of the things that I used to do and I didn't today, I should have, but I used to just Google millennials every time before I went in and gave this presentation. And I realized that overwhelmingly the, t- the bullet points that came up or the not bullet points, sorry, the typically videos and articles that came up first in the Google search were usually at least 80% negative about millennials. Huh. And so I thought, I wonder if I change the title of this topic, what that will do for people's response to it. So wow. I did the same thing and I called it why we hate millennials and immediately start people started to respond to that specific topic and request it more often. Huh. So is it your number one requested topic right now? Yeah. Wow. It is. And what's interesting is I tend to pull in other topics that I usually talk about. I talk a lot with companies and businesses about the importance of mentoring, about what work-life balance looks like in the current era. I, we talk about um, 
how important it is for talent retention to have the right hiring strategies and the right onboarding and training strategies. But I would say that this one is the one that people always say, can you tell me more? Even if we don't end up going with it, it's we, I probably talk about it with every discovery call that I have with potential speaking engagement clients or, or companies that I'm working with. Wow. Talk about negativity bias and like just yeah. the predisposition to look for the bad. Yeah. Um, also, side comment real quick. I know I've talked about this before, but my office is literally right next to Music Row, and we've <laughs> no. got we've got all kinds of bachelorette and bachelor parties like on party barges driving by my office. So I can't edit that out. So apologies. But so okay, so why we the value of millennials, but why we hate millennials, all that good stuff. Yeah. So we do. You said a key thing that we don't actually hate millennials. No. Which I agree with you on that, and, and I even thought that before you and I spoke. But elaborate on why we don't actually hate millennials. So um, one of the things that I uh, want to that I always want to start with people when they start going down a negative path about millennials, I'll always ask them, um, "What did have you? If they are a millennial, I'll ask them about their parents or their grandparents. But if they're not a or they're not a millennial, if they're an Xer, a Boomer, or uh, the the Silent or Golden generation, I'll ask them." Do you remember what people were saying about your generation mm-hmm. when you were graduating from high school or college and kind of going out into the workforce and becoming adults? And inevitably, they're saying the same things that yeah. were being said, variations of the same things that were being said about millennials. Yeah. So, oh, they're kids these days. They don't understand. They don't work hard enough. They don't they don't get how to do things the right way. Uh, they think they should be promoted or, or deserve something that they haven't really earned yet. They don't understand the value of, or they don't understand I'm the boss and I'm in charge. It's kind of things of this, of this nature in this era. era. I think one of the things that you have to remember about news and information, there's this, um, when I was in college, (laughs) I'm not even going to say the professor's name because I have no idea if this is a true source or not, but I took a PR class and the one of the things that I remember from the P, it was PR and um, news intro to news writing or something like that. And the professor said that one of the key things to remember when you're um, when you're looking at the media is this uh, this sort of theory that's if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. So the more negative and dramatic it is, the higher up and more promoted of a story it's going to be in any sort of news feed. And this has been true since newspapers were created. Yeah. And so. We have set the tone forever in our media to have a bias towards the negative. And that is going to be the new, that's going to be the information that is the most promoted. So it's on the front page. So it's going to be what, or it's going to be the first story on the news and it's going to be the first thing that people hear. So when we're looking at the information we're sharing about millennials, we're going to tend to go towards negative information because we're probably going to get a bigger reaction from our audience about it. And we're going to tell that story first. Yeah. So that's one aspect of it. Um, the other piece of it, which ties in is just the, the uh, proliferation of media in general. So in 1960, when baby boomers were coming of, of coming of age, there were three channels on TV. Okay. Okay. And the eighties is kind of when cable TV had its boom. So, um, 1980, which is the end of Gen X, the start and right before the millennial generation start, there were 28 channels on TV. Wow. By the, 
crazy. By the time millennials were um, in sort of the throes of their coming of age, like in 89, there were 79 channels, 195 by 1995. And today we have over 800 media broadcasting channels. And that's just TV. And that's just TV. And who watches TV anymore? And who watches TV (laughs) anymore? Yeah. Absolutely. So what's interesting is that think, just think about how many more if you flip through channels, yeah. how much more likely you are to hear information above, uh, on a given topic if it's hot. And the reason that millennials have been a hot topic is they are the largest generation in the history of our com- our country. Really? So they are bigger than baby that. boomers, wow. which surprises a lot of people. And so that is, and they are, right now they're the most dominant uh, generation in the workforce. They're anticipating Gen Z will ellipse that, but they're all just um, graduating from high school early college right now. So of course we're going to talk about millennials because they're have such a massive, massive impact on, um, on what we do and how we do it. So it's interesting what you said about the newspapers. And I read a book probably in 2013. It's uh, called trust me. I'm lying confessions of a media manipulator. Mm. And it's basically this dude's tell all story of, Hey, you're being lied to all the time, like 24 seven. And here's how I got paid by all these different organizations to manipulate what you're hearing. Yeah. And here's how we actually did it. Anyway, so trust me, I'm lying. Confessions of a media manipulator. Um, awesome book. Awesome read. Very eye opening at the time. And I just it, it got me thinking more and more. It's probably the seeds that were planted of, huh, there's there's something off here. Yeah. Um, but but I thought it's interesting what you said about you know, as technology and media just grew and grew and, and the negativity bias of, you know, portraying millennials in a certain way. So look, we all get it. The, I got a participation trophy generation is yeah. what we're called. And yeah. uh, I've got a liberal arts degree in basket weaving. Why am I not a CEO? Is supposedly the attitude. So but what, what's actually going on? Like what are millennials actually doing in the So um, one of the things that uh, one of the studies that I think is really interesting and anybody can go access this white this the report of the white paper is that Gallup Research Institute has been doing um, a study for years with millions of people all around the world looking at employee engagement and it's looking at um, what differentiates average companies from the world's most productive companies. And one of those aspects is employee, how engaged are their employees? And what's most interesting to me is the evolution of change they've seen in the last 15 years from what was rankers of high employee, employee engagement about 10 or 15 years ago versus what it is now, which all indicators to that would point to there's one, maybe two generations that are influencing that. Yeah. which is the millennials is they've come into and really kind of in mass entered workplaces around the country. And then potentially Gen X, who um, was the precursory generation generation to that. I had the chance to go and kind of hear the debrief of these reports um, to or the report from a, a Gallup professional and uh, a consult, sorry, Gallup consultant. And I asked the question, to what extent do you think that, that the millennials are having an impact? And they said, we know it's having an impact because of A, the volume, but B, we've asked people specifically about it. I think they have a white paper on, on millennials as well. Um, and the biggest of which that's the most interesting that they said, what, or that this gentleman said was the concept of what work-life balance means. Mm-hmm. 
So a traditional look at work-life balance um, for a baby boomer or a, an older Gen Xer was that in my job, I can go do my work and I can get my job done and I can get it done well. And then I can punch out, you know, I'm using air quotes. So theoretically or actually punch out and I can go home and be a real really good parent, mm -hmm. and I can provide for my family. Yeah. I'm completely disconnected past the punch out. Yes. New work. The new model of work-life balance is I feel like I'm fully recognized as a human being and there's value that I can add to the, the purpose of this company mm. and, and what this company is or organization is doing. And it doesn't mean that I do it in a certain number of hours every day. It me it doesn't mean that um, I'm a work Sarah and I'm a home or outside of work Sarah. It means that Sarah can be successfully personally and professionally, and there's not the sort of disjointed version of, of that. Hmm, okay. Um, and so what's interesting is uh, after I learned that, I started asking around to clients and 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 people that I met and family and friends. And I would say, so I have a question. What do you think millennials work ethic is? Blanket question. Interesting. And the very common feedback was <clears throat> not that great. Okay. And I would say, well, tell me why you think it's not that great. Oh, I want to come back to entitlement because that's a big piece of this, but okay. I'll start entitlement. That's one part of it. They'd say, Oh, they're so entitled. They think they deserve anything. And so I'd say, okay, why don't you think they deserve it? And they'd say, well, they don't work very hard. How not very many hours. Um, they're trying to do as little as possible to get the maximum results. Um, you know, it, it doesn't sounds efficient they, to me. They're not. There you go. Cause you're a millennial. That's why I'm also, a, I'm also an economist and the son of an economist. So I think, What's the opportunity cost? Yeah, but I think, too, even if you were talking to older economists, they would say hard work is getting in first and leaving last. And that's just a bygone era. So then my follow-up question to all these people is, now tell me, do you ever work from home? Hmm. And they say, yes. And I said, when do you typically work from home? Well, I go to my job. I'm the first one there. I'm the last one to leave. I come home. I put my kids to bed. Da, 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 and then I log back online and work several hours again at the end of the night. And I say, okay, what if your place of employment said, hey, um, we're going to shorten our work. We, we still need you to get the same job done, but our office hours are going to shorten to half. How would you feel about that? Yeah. And they're like, that'd actually be kind of great because I could take my kids to – I know I could get all this stuff done and I could take my kid to doctor's appointments, go to more of their games, like whatever the case is. Yeah. That right there is an indicator that the rest of the workforce, no matter their generation, actually likes the impact of millennials on the workforce. That's interesting. Because that that's the shift to what work-life balance, that's literally the, the very exact example of a shift to what the new model of work-life balance looks like. It's, we believe you can get your work done. Mm -hmm. We're going to hold you accountable to getting your work done, but you can get it done whenever and wherever you want. <clears throat> so, you know, and you've known me for, for a while and yeah. you know my background of how I ended up in this business because you're part of the reason I'm here. Um, <laughs> but... You know, that's what attracted me to starting my own practice because I just didn't – don't tell me when I, I can and can't work. Just leave me alone and let me do my damn job. Right. And and part of that is maybe that millennial aspect. Part of it is just my personality. I'm very – I've always been entrepreneurial in that sense. Um, but, no, I see that more and more with friends of mine who are going into maybe their second or third job. That's like the priority of 
I don't want to be here from right. six to six. I'll work from six to six, but yeah. I don't want to have to be in the office from six to six. And yeah. technology has changed that. Yes. But, so what I was going to say is part of the reason that you might have that attitude about leave me alone and let me do my dang job is because one of the things that's affected the way the millennials look at how work gets done and their interaction with their bosses is because of the role technology has played in blowing up the um, what was up until the millennials came through the pretty dominant hierarchy mm -hmm. of order and structure in both the family unit and in work environments. And that was a very top down, um, very top down organization. So this is a concept I'm fully borrowing from Seth Madison. I, or Seth Matson, I learned it a few years ago and it was just an aha moment for me. Um, most millennials I know are the chief technology officers of their family. Yes. They are not the first digitally native generation. They're the first digitally savvy because of all of the changes that were happening so fast in technology. Gen Z will be the first digitally native generation. Hmm. And so what's interesting is what's interesting about that is that we were the first generation that did not rely in any way on people older than us to give us information. We could. In yeah. fact, we could inverse it. Huh, yeah. We could get information probably from more sources quicker and faster and share it back with them than they could. And in addition to that, because we were so good at learning and adapting to technology, we also, they became reliant on us to teach them something. That's so true. Wow. Isn't that good? Wow. I've never, but that's so, so true. Yeah. I mean, our generation killed the term, I'll take his word for it. Totally. I'll just Google it. Yes. <laughs> I, the number of times I've had the conversation with, especially younger millennials, I think an interesting that happens in the millennial generation is there is a sharper divide. Yeah. Um, younger millennials, I've had the conversation over and over again. What did people do before Google? And I was like, you just learned and memorized yeah. things. Yeah. Or you went to the Encyclopedia Britannica yeah. and pulled you know, whatever letter off the shelf you needed and you looked it up or you went and used the Dewey Decimal System to find the right spot in the library to get the book to get the information. That's all stuff older millennials know how to do because we learned how to do it in college or in high school. Yep. But younger millennials, you know, I mean, not that far behind me in, in high school were learning how to find resources to sort and size sort they i remember when they changed the apa citation for paper writing to include websites wow so i'm probably don't say wow that made me feel a little <laughs> old the way you just said it well but... no it's not a matter of wow age it's more of a matter of like wow impact yeah well yeah. i think i'm probably in the middle of that so i think back at it and i say okay everybody didn't have a cell phone in high school until probably my junior or senior year of high school yeah like i remember and i make this joke all the time like, I still have to call girls on their house phone in middle school and have the dad hang up on me. Yeah. Talk, talk about preparing you for life. Absolutely. I'm just getting destroyed. Now, middle school is going to slide into DMs. So it's, right? it's a completely different ball game. But, <laughs> yeah, so let's elaborate a little bit more on, on almost being the controller of information now at this point. Right. So is there resentment in that sense, maybe? So the resentment doesn't come as being the one responsible with the information or being able to access it. And this is, I think, where the the sort of um, 
the feeling of entitlement comes up with older generations and what causes the friction or where it rubs up against what's actually happening in the generation. Instead of saying, like you did with your economist attitude, here's a person on my team or in my organization that can do something or or understand something or learn something faster than other people on my team or might even have more knowledge about it than other people on my team. They're say they're still stuck in the older hierarchy, which mm. is this person is the youngest, and so they don't know as much as I do. <clears throat> Interesting, because they haven't had enough time to fo- like the old way of learning. Just because they haven't had enough time to learn and memorize all the information, yeah. and then the rub comes from the other side with the millennials, which is because they've had to share and learn and be the expert in certain ways. What they haven't yet time does this weird thing where we realize how little we actually know because there's. There's knowledge and then there's wisdom Mm, and wisdom is gained with age and with experience. And so millennials could very much have a ton more knowledge than people that are older than them, but they will never have more wisdom. Well, that's not true there. At some point, there's probably a balance point in certain people, but generally speaking, they don't have more wisdom just because they haven't had the same amount of time and life experiences and working with people. So that's, that's a really big piece of it. And then of course, the other rub that comes along with the technology piece is the way that social media and uh, communication technology has changed. So if you look at baby boomers compared to um, millennials, uh, there was a study done and I'm going to totally forget who did the study. Um, There was a study done where they polled, I think, uh, 8,000 people in each generation on their preferred form of communication and uh, baby boomers preferred form of communication. First was face to face. Second was on the phone. Third was um, uh, third was uh, letter letter writing. It's gotta be letter. Fourth was email. Okay. And fifth was text message. Uh, Millennials completely inverse. Yeah, Yeah. And so I think the other part that's happening with some of that friction or where it rubs up against each other is just in general communication style. So millennials will, because they don't have, because they hadn't yet, I think when some of this negative press was starting and as the generation has aged, it's, it's balanced itself a little bit. But when the generation was starting, what was happening is millennials were operating from the place in which they knew and saying, oh, I like to communicate this way. So I'm going to communicate to other people this way. And because it was the opposite of how millennial or baby boomers liked to be communicated with, they felt like it was maybe passive aggressive, mm-hmm. that it was lazy, that it was... Uh, you know, any of those other negative things that you tend to hear about the millennial generation. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, think about it. All conflict essentially is a result of unmet expectations. Yeah. And typically expectations are not met because we're a bunch of jerks. They're, they're just not articulated. Right. So uh, it's, it's like we've got a, a generational misunderstanding. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Which is really interesting to think through. Yeah. Huh. So, okay, we've got, we've got a generation that, it's very large. Yep. I didn't realize it was the biggest. Um, it's very well educated. Very well. Most educated generation in history. Okay. So very well educated. Very well connected. You and I were talking yes. about this. My wife and I were in Europe in June and I didn't feel like I was in a different country. I mean, culturally, I understood I was in Belgium. I was eating waffles and yeah. all that good stuff and drinking <laughs> beer. But <laughs> my phone worked. My mom just called me. My, I checked my work email. I mean, everybody you know, spoke English. Yes. Uh, it was funny. This couple, this probably baby boomer couple, randomly approaches us at the uh, at the train station, and this lady is speaking to me in German. 
because the older Bel- the older uh, generations in Belgium speak German okay. along with Flemish. Okay. The younger generations in Belgium speak English along with Flemish. And I speak German. And my wife looked at the lady and was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. we don't." And I was like, no, babe, let me answer. Let me answer. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I can do it. <laughs> I was like, I can do this. Uh, which I, I just, but even there, yeah. you have a have a divide in what second and third, because people are going to speak like four languages. Um, they're learning. So, okay. So let's go back to the workplace. I can, I can work all day. I, I don't have to be in the office. What are the shifts that are actually tangibly happening? that are being more commonly accepted. So we talked about shortening the, the office hours. Yeah. What else? Um, this office that we're sitting in, and I know people can't see it, is a great example of it Okay. Um, right now, which is there's a lot more community space. Yes, which in, is awesome. In offices because millennials tend to be more collaborative than previous generations. They like to work on teams, which is ironic because we hear they're entitled and they think they deserve all of this, but they really want to be a part of the team. Yeah, It goes back to that networking effect of the technology and the, the media that we have. So um, what, what you'll see in this environment um, is that there's a variety of community spaces, but they all look a little bit different as well. Yeah. So the other thing that it's doing is we're recognizing, and this I don't know if this is a product of being a generation or just as we progress as a society, we understand and get smarter about human functionality yeah. and like people need different things. Um, but certainly there's space for, for the people who don't have private office space, there's space provided for them to mm-hmm. go and be able to use that. Um, but they still have their own desk or whatever. There are certainly off there. A very common thing that's happening right now is um, office hoteling, which is you don't have a desk. You don't have any assigned workspace. You, you have places you down. can plug in and go. And um, and then there's private spaces also, again, that you can use for conference rooms with clients or just if you need to make a phone call and it's private. Um, so that's certainly an example of just how office environments work are very, very different. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is the mo- one of the things that I think is the most interesting, and probably it's because I love working with people who fall into this, is we're seeing a rise in entrepreneurial um, and entrepreneurial uh, focus. So hashtag side hustle, hashtag side hustle. And that's exactly it. So when I was starting this work, looking at generations and sort of the factors that were impacting them about eight years ago, really digging into it, I read a statistic that said the average millennial will have 11 jobs by the time they're 30. And what we recognized that to be originally was because it was happening and it still happens more frequently than other generations is that millennials would start a job and then leave shortly compared to their Gen X or baby boomer predecessors that what we typically see in those other generations is much more company loyalty. And so theoretically, when I saw that data and I was sharing it with people, what everyone was saying was initially was, yes, they're turning over fast. They're leaving organizations faster. They can't be, they don't know what loyalty is. They can't be loyal. And I want to unpack that in a couple different ways. One is it's not true that they were having 11 jobs, 11 different jobs. What was happening is this is the most in-debt generation in the history of the United States. So they were coming out of college or developing debt just in life, and they needed to have more than one job to pay their bills. Uber, bartender, on top of being a graphic designer. I mean, and when I, before any of that started, when I was coming out of college, I, I didn't know a single person that wasn't waitressing, ba- uh, my girlfriends wasn't waitressing, babysitting outside of doing their full-time 
yeah. 40 hour a week work job and not because we wanted the extra money because we needed the extra money to get it done. Yeah. Um, so certainly that's a big piece of it. The other part of it is now the side hustle that it's turned that, that term one of, first of all, I love it because it contradicts again, that misnomer that, that millennials don't work hard. Yeah. It literally has hustle in the term. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it literally identifies they are doing something outside of their current role. So it could be that it's for now, it's just a job that's helping them generate capital or revenue. But what we also see is people are working to turn that side hustle into really what they're make what they want their main goal to be. And they're using those side jobs and that extra time to figure out, okay, if this job isn't going to be my forever career, what is it that I'm passionate about? And where can I, what can I do to lay the foundation and groundwork now in a more part-time basis hmm. so that I am financially secure, but I can be working towards the dream that I have for the future. Yeah. And some people start a podcast. It's a money pit. So could be. Uh, yeah. there's, there's no, <laughs> it could be, but it also could have gaining momentum that it could be like most entrepreneurial endeavors are, is that you might take a step back, you might have a stall out point or take a step back financially in the hopes of you're doing it in a vein of something that gives you great joy and passion so that down the road, it will become successful yeah. and, and benefit you not only personally, emotionally, mentally, but also financially. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that's, that is something unique because you know, a good example I want to use is the idea of the SoundCloud rapper. Okay, <laughs> just follow along. All, all right, right. I'm, I'm the SoundCloud <laughs> rapper has essentially eliminated the need for a record company. Absolutely, you can post Malone. I was just gonna say post Malone. Post Malone posted White Iverson on SoundCloud, and somehow ASAP totally. Rocky got a hold of it the night it got posted. Yeah, tweeted about it, and the next day he had like two million listens. And Post Malone, I remember watching the interview, was like. I took out a $20,000 loan and shot a video because I was like, holy crap, I got to capitalize on this. So the, the, you don't, 20 years ago, I would have had to have been on a radio station to do this. Yeah. Um, another thing, you know, in, in, in my office and in my job, I was really the first person in this office that said, Hey, I'm going to do remote meetings with clients mm -hmm. because that's going to open up opportunities. And instead of saying, Hey, you've lived in Nashville for six months. Who do you know that you can introduce me to? Well, nobody. I can say, who was best man in your wedding? Oh, my buddy in Pittsburgh. Can I give him a call? Right. Go to meeting, things like that. So I remember I verbatim, because I wrote it down. Remember people tell me that will not work. I was like, oh, okay. So four years later, 80% of my meetings are remote. I think that is going to, what you just described is going back to the generational rub of technology, because even for people who are in younger generations that might think and feel the way that you do, they are also balancing that with, well, there is a business model that's successful and it works. Yeah. And what's happening is people are saying, don't disrupt the model. But what we actually know from businesses, the disruptors are the ones who catapult them into bigger success. The challengers. And, yes. And so that is, I think, um, we're just not, we're human beings are not um, good with change. That's why evolution is what evolution is. Species die out because they're not good with change. Human beings tend to, as emotionally evolved organisms, tend to be even more reticent with change. And so I think the speed with which millennial generation is brought around change in so many ways has just been so difficult, even though a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, uh, older generations are starting to realize 
oh, I, I like this change that's happening and they're not even realizing, well, that came from that generation you said you hated. Yeah. <laughs> that was so painful. Well, one thing we talked about the other day that actually I've been meditating on a lot and, and, and thinking about, you know, you said that the millennial generation is the first generation where you are more likely to have something in common of the same generation in another country than you are to have with someone of a different generation in your yes. own country. And the place where that gives me hope, and people listening know my background and know how I ended up in the United States, the reason horrible atrocities can happen, such as war, such as ethnic cleansing, because you can dehumanize the enemy. Yes. Okay? In, in World War II, we called them Japs and Krauts. Okay? It's really hard to call somebody a Kraut now when you can check on Instagram and be like, hey, th this dude over here in Germany is, is just a regular human being the same way I am. Mm -hmm. They're going through the same exact things. It's, it's humanizing different people, which makes, like I said, horrible atrocities, not impossible, but more difficult. It's harder to lie and control and manipulate something like that. Mm -hmm. So that gets me really excited. So elaborate a little bit more on the similarities in, in within generation of different cultures. Well, I don't, uh, so the, what, <laughs> you can give a caveat or okay. I might've hijacked it, whatever. No, you didn't hijack it. I think your head is in the right space. So first of all, what's happening is the way that we're uh, understanding humanity is changing. So I think, uh, when you look at parenting styles, when you look at world religion, when you look at, um, even the concept of emotional intelligence, and how pervasive that is today versus 20 years ago, what's happening as highly evolved species is that we're understanding there's more nuance yep. to humanity. Yep. So that's one aspect of it. The other piece that ties in specifically with this generation and them being more like their counterparts than others is the access to information and the connectivity to each other. Mm -hmm. So, I, on the elevator, I got a call from my friend living in London. And like you talked about, I picked up the phone and talked with her. When I was a child, I would have had to have gotten an international phone card. Yep. We would have had to have correspondent some way to determine what time we were going to call. Um, I also sent her a text message and an NPR story earlier today. I mean, like we've communicated multiple times today. And 30 years ago, we that would have had, we would have been pen pals, essentially. Right? Yeah. That, that would have been how yeah. we would have communicated. Yeah, that's true. And so we have way more ways to be connected and be learning from um, learning from each other. Um, and interestingly enough, what we were talking about was this um, new TV show coming out from the guy who produced Mad Men about the uh, it's called Romanoffs. And it basically follows an uh, the descendants of an oligarchy mm -hmm. all around the world. Huh. And I, I was listening to the even the description of that. And the description of that talks about an oligarchy living in Paris and that, or part of the family living in Paris and part of the family living in the United States. And of course, this is all fictional. But the reason I sent it to her, she has an a family from an oligarchy living down her block in London. Wow. And so it's interesting because again, uh, we can have these common experiences and we can trade notes on these common experiences of how we might have living in different parts of the world, experience that thing, interacting with neighbors who are from a Russian oligarchy family. And before our connection to that was what Anna Karenina? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was before that. We just have more ways of sharing that common experience with each other. And then the other piece of it is we all have access to the same information. We tend to still see that there are different trends that flow in different countries, but Beyonce is Beyonce around the world. And that's because she's been able to use the technology and we've been able to have the information to see her YouTube videos, her concerts, her Instagram, her, her fan website, whatever it is. 
because technology has made it easier for her to her to push that out to everybody. And so we have access to the same information and learning now versus learning it in, in different ways in different categories. That's so interesting because I'll, I'll give you an example of something that blew my mind about a month and a half ago. So I do a lot of genealogical research. I'm a big history buff. I love learning about my family. And I have one ancestor in particular who was very famous. And uh, his son wrote a book about him after his death. And the book was published in, uh, in Serbia in Novi Sad in 1906. Okay. His son was in his eighties at that point. All right. Okay. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, holy crap, I need to get a hold of that book. So I got a hold of that book by another book on Google books. Okay. Reading the scan, going to the source citation, finding <laughs> that source citation. It's written down. I'm like, okay, this book, I go into world catalog. I look up that book and find it in the National Archives of Hungary in Budapest. Okay? So I'm thinking, all right, I've got to get a hold of somebody in Budapest. Yeah. So what I do is I go to the website. I Google Translate the website. I find the email. I write up an email in English because I know somebody will speak English there. They email me back in 24 hours and say, yeah, for us, uh, it, it's uh, it's free of charge, but we do have to charge like a service fee because we're not like we're a yeah. government institution. I pay like 16 euros. They scan the book to me and send it to my email. 20 years ago, there's no way your, I would have your ever international, been able. At minimum, your international phone bill would have been. Yeah. A couple hundred, maybe $1,000 to get that all sorted out at minimum. And probably two generations before that, you would have been on planes, trains, and automobiles to be tracking all of that down. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sending that book to the, to the, uh, uh, the Library of Congress. Because, it, well, it needs to be, you know, yeah. I want in as many archives as possible. But just the thought of that. Being able to do that is mind-boggling within 20, 24, 48 hours. Yeah, how quickly that happened for you. Yeah, and I'm reading through one of my ancestors' life. So cool. Uh, so anyway. So cool. Let's, well, I was going to go back to one more topic real quick. Go for it. Uh, entitlement, because you, yes. you wanted to put a nice little yeah. bow around that. Let's talk about entitlement. Thank so you. millennials are entitled. Uh, I would like to disagree with that because I actually kind of work really hard every day. So. Yeah. How am I entitled? Well, we've hit on some of that a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Where we talk about the perception is that they're entitled. And some of that is we're not good with change. And so when people come in and they're asking for things in a different way or stating their confidence in a different way or asserting themselves in a different way, um, we're just not used to that. Um, some of it is that um, the expectation shifted with those dynamics of the introduction of technology in, in, in our hierarchy to a more networked style of, um, of organizational structure. But the big crux of this, I think, comes from a, a phrase that everybody likes to use, but we don't dig under the hood very often, which is their trophy generation. Yep. And so what happened, and this, I remember this when I was, I, I have a, vivid memory of being in sunny acres park at the end of a softball game when i was in third grade this is decades ago and i got uh we did not win the third i was already mad we were in the third place game but we Ooh. didn't win it Ooh. so the chance of getting a trophy was gone yeah well this was the year that they introduced everybody getting trophies so i did get a little trophy and i remember that my when i went back sat and sat down my mom said you better put a smile on your because I was mad that I got that little trophy. Mm. Well, in the decades that followed, we were just excited to get trophies. Mm. So here's the tricky thing. Older generations love to point out 
that younger, the millennial generation was used to getting trophies for everything and feeling like they won even when they didn't. But who was giving them the trophies? <laughs> we were we were making them ourselves, obviously. Right? With yeah. all the money that we had from the jobs we weren't able to have. And yeah. we never asked for them. Again, I remember when I got the first tro- participation trophy and I wasn't happy about it. Yeah. And, um, and that became normative over the, over the years. I think it goes, it, t- it ties into that concept that I mentioned earlier about sort of our growth and understanding of emotional intelligence and understanding like, um, how you do something isn't just as important as what you do that I think has really evolved a lot in the last several decades in the workplace, et cetera. But I think what's gotten lost is, um, I know what's gotten lost because I've sat at several youth sporting events for very young kids where they're not keeping score. They don't win games. Um, and I just, I don't understand that because life is not that way. Nope. And for some reason, I, I don't know that I've totally pinned down yet. And, and even in all the reading and research I've done, I don't feel like we've landed on a good answer of why did that happen? And why does it continue to happen is actually the bigger question. So now what's interesting is in youth sports, this is still going on. And people are complaining over their books written about how annoying it is that kids for the kids have quote unquote ruined a generation. Why we hate millennials, right? Yeah. Because they always got trophies, but we're continuing to do it for generations after. And now we've taken out keeping score even and, and, and those kinds of things. So um, I think that that's another thing that just kind of rubs up against that entitlement piece is that there's the impact of yes, being recognized and valued for everything in sports and in events and things like that, and not understanding the other side of it. But I think there's also, when you get to the workplace, um, the workplace hadn't yet adapted when millennials were coming in to that sort of trophy mentality, but millennials had grown up in that space. And so the conflict of, oh no, you don't always win and you don't always get what you want and you don't always get the next promotion because you did X, Y, and Z. Um, it, it hadn't fully reconciled itself yet, or we hadn't figured that out yet, how to deal with, with that as millennials were coming into the workforce. And so all we were hearing was what a problem it was. And that was the message that just continued to spread, to spread. I Hmm. think now, and you've been in the workforce long enough that I think you could, I'd be interested in your opinion on it too. I think now that has started, the dust on that one has started to settle because of that piece that I mentioned earlier about knowledge versus wisdom. I think what was happening is the lack of wisdom about, hey, I need to, as a young professional, I need to understand how this organization works before I just come in and try and make all this change and be the source of change. And even though I think I can do something better and more efficiently, I probably need to sit back and understand how it works first before I just like drive a, a Mack truck through it of change. Yeah. I think now the generation has learned that and they know how now to be disruptors effectively. They, they, obviously had impact on the workforce and, and making some of those changes. And that I, th- I think that that sort of concept of, Oh, they're so entitled and they think they deserve anything is settling a little bit. What yeah. do you think? You know, it's hard for me to really answer that just because the, the world that I do live in is a highly competitive, highly merit. It's a meritocracy. You know, we, mm-hmm. You know exactly what your results are. You know exactly where you stand. Uh, I will say we've probably lost the competitive spirit to some degree, not necessarily in the sense that we're not competitive. I would say personally, I'm incredibly competitive, but I'm incredibly competitive with myself. I don't give a crap what anybody else is doing. Yeah. I'm, I want to know what am I doing? Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably a little different. Um, I don't, 
here's where I struggle with brand new millennials, like the younger, younger version, um, like the ones that are that are approaching the what's the Gen Z? Yes, or, yeah, Gen, Gen Z. Z. Post millennials, Gen Z. Yeah, what what I struggle with them is they are the first generation that did it for the vine and 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 lived for the like, and they, in my opinion really struggle with rejection, especially in, in, in this business. You know how you're much saying we, the younger millennials, correct? Not Gen Z. Yeah. Co- correct. Yes. They, and I, and I had a conversation with one about this not too long ago. And, and I thought, you know, when, when during your adolescent years, when your brain is developing and you I mean, your prefrontal cortex is not developed until you're like what, 25. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going on there. If, if your entire self or a large portion of your self-worth comes off of validation off of social media and the likes and the comments and, and being constantly connected and, and constantly, you know, feeling like you're, you're surrounded by people, but being lonely, which I've had an episode on that. Mm-hmm. When somebody hangs up on you when you're cold calling them or if somebody, you know, doesn't want to do business with, like that really stinks. Yeah. Whereas for me, I mean, to this, I had a guy laugh at me today when I called him and I, I laughed at him back. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm just like, whatever, man. Next. Yeah. Um, well, and that goes back to what you were talking about when you had to call a girl's house, you had to call, talk to her dad first and then oh, get yeah. her on the phone. Right. You had that experience and they did it. Yeah. I vividly because remember. Because they had cell phones. Yeah. I vividly remember uh, a dude hanging up on me and me calling him right back and saying, that must have been a mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> can I talk to <laughs> Carrie, please? I was trying to get a hold of Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, can I please talk to her? Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I, I'm very conflicted in, in, in that we do start to see that. And so this goes back to that first generation um, techni- techni- uh, technologically savvy versus native generation yeah. is the second half of the generation tends to be more native. Yeah. Um, the older part of the generation literally invented the social media platform. So if you look at Mark people who founded Instagram, Facebook, yeah. Snapchat, they're all older millennials, yeah. but they just were smart enough to know who was going to have the influencing power of using the technology and aimed it at a certain yeah. age group. Um, and so you're right that that starts to spread a little bit. What's interesting is they're anticipating based on the research being done, that's going to rebound with Gen hmm. Z and here's why you and I, I tell people all the time, maybe more so me than you. Cause I'm very much on the older end of millennials. Thank the good Lord above Mark Zuckerberg is my same age, because if there would have been Facebook oh gosh, and photo permanent photo documentation on the interweb of all the dumb stuff I did when I was in high school. And I didn't, I was a pretty good kid, but, but I just, still you were in high school. I mean, I have Kodak pictures of like some of the dumb stuff I did. And, and, and I think, I think, thank God those are in a shoebox in my mom's attic and not on the internet versus now it can be everywhere. And so what's, what's happening is um, older millennials and young Gen Xers that are raising Gen Z are saying, we need to protect your virtual identity. Yep. And it's not cool for them to do it because they're like, oh my gosh, all these old people are sharing everything about their lives on the internet. Yep. Yep. And so what's interesting is there, there are, you'll see the trends that they're kind of trending away from that a little bit. Um, where, what they're more tend to be more interested in is YouTube and how do I become YouTube famous? So yes. how do I put very controlled content out on YouTube so that I can become independently wealthy yeah. for playing Minecraft or putting on makeup or just living my life? I know a girl who I was her orientation leader in college. Okay. I sat next to her in political science classes. Who's got over a million YouTube subscribers and it blows my mind. And you're like, 
you are maybe you don't think she's that interesting or maybe she, you I just, think she's a great girl. I mean, she does makeup, so it's not something I'm yeah, interested you in. You're like, how are you doing? I'm that? really happy for her. But yeah. It's, it is mind boggling. Cause it was like, I remember being in like constitutional law or whatever we were in yeah. with you and being bored in there. And like, I remember you copied my homework once. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Can I get a cut of that YouTube check now yeah, for the, well, the homework yeah, I gave you? Let me, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, but, yeah. So, so let me ask you this. By the way, just interestingly enough, this is the one that blows people's minds. Uh, YouTube star is the number one most desired profession of people in Gen Z. Really? So again, wow. talking about how generations change things, a job that didn't even exist. And that's, I think, another impact on the workforce. You had asked me that earlier. I'll kind of loop back around there. That's another impact on the workforce that millennials have had is um, because of their ad- adoption and adaption to technology and their ability to change really quickly, that innovation entrepreneurial spirit has spawned all kinds of new industries, new innovations, new product. I mean, look at just what Elon Musk is doing. Yeah. Um, he's a he's a Gen Xer, but look, still look at what his company is doing. It's flooded with millennials um, because of the values that they have about innovation growing and change. And um, and it's it's that's another impact on the workforce is that there's just new industries and new jobs that never existed. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really hard for parents, especially to advise their kids on because their kids will come to them and say, this is what I want to do. And they're like, I don't even understand how that's a career. Yeah. Go be an but accountant. But it is. Yeah. yeah. Go be an accountant. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. 10 years ago, the number one YouTube video was Charlie bit me. Crazy, right? Yeah. It wasn't even a still good. It is still good. It's still good. <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. Um, okay. So, you know, we, we've got to wrap up on the conversation, but I'm really, really glad we've had it. But okay. If you, if you had to give some advice to, to young millennials or millennials in general, that maybe feel they are looking for what they want to do. Cause that, I mean, that is your yeah. bread and butter is that, is that career advice and career counseling. And it's also your opportunity to plug and sell whatever you want to. <laughs> um, I always get that opportunity, but what, how would you help them going about, Hey, you're unhappy where you're working. It's not a long-term deal, but you don't know. You don't, you don't even know what the first step is and you feel so overwhelmed because there's so much behind you that you haven't taken care of that moving forward just seems overwhelming. Yeah. What's that first step you can take to try to figure out what is it that you want to do? Well, the first thing that I recommend people do is just, it's so old fashioned, but sit down with a pen and paper, not a screen because screens are too distracting to millennials, but a pen and paper and just write down all of the things that give you really immense joy, not joy, but immense joy. And then start writing. And then after you've done that, start writing down just ideas you have about ways that you could make the world a better place. And then what Mm -hmm. I recommend people do is they start looking at, are there themes that are emerging in any of these topics? Or are there any strong correlations between any of of these pieces? And then from there, just start running. And this is a very big, this is usually a thing that I can help clients go through a little bit more in depth. But if you want to DIY it, go for it. After you've identified those themes or those patterns, then start get on the computer, get back on the screen and start doing some research. Is that an industry or a company that already exists? And do you need to go learn more about them and how you would get connected with them? Or is there an opportunity for you to start your own business? And from there, you get to start making some different decisions about if it's a career change or if it's starting a new endeavor or if it's um, fundraising and and kind of going down that route to, to see if there's interest there. Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe it's a complete pivot. Um, but that's what I really recommend. Um, and then 
in that process, I also recommend that people get a lot of feedback from the other people that know them really well. So what are the things that you think I'm exemplary at and that I, that I do really well? Because a lot of times when we're in a season of change, we have a very hard time of seeing the things that we're really, really good at because mm. we're focused on the things we don't like doing or we're not happy with. Yeah. And people can give us good perspective on things that we haven't even thought about ourselves before. And you want to be able to tie your strengths and your talents along with the things that you're excited about doing to make sure you have the best opportunity to have a, a true career rather than a volunteer. Because it might be that, hey, I just need to volunteer more somewhere. Yeah. But if there's an economic potential for you there and it's a career shift, you want to make sure you've got all of the data, not just on could you run the business, but could you run the business well and be successful while being happy doing it or or the career or the job or work for the company. It's almost like double down on what you're good at. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Get clear on it yeah. and double down on it. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually what I've been doing recently. So that's that's exciting. Good. A lot of, lot, I mean, one of the benefits of this podcast is just- Good. Um, I constantly have to think through stuff. So that yeah. helps. I want to, can I just say one other thing too? Um, I think one of the things we're starting to see with the change in technology, and I'm really happy you're addressing it with your, um, with your podcast. So if people haven't gone back and listened to those episodes, I really would encourage them to, whether they're a millennial, they're mentoring a millennial or they're raising a millennial or a Gen Z is the impact of technology on our social and well-being. Mm-hmm. I've talked a lot about how much more connected we are, but we're not connected in the same way that we once were. Yep. And so what we're seeing and we're just on the learning, we're on the leading edge of the learning curve on this is the ne- one of the negative impacts of the use of the expansion and use of social media is um the sort of freedom and autonomy and anonymity actually that people have to be nasty to each other and the impact that that has on people, but also the isolation and loneliness it can create, um, which can lead to depression and a lot of other significant issues. And so I think that there's a lot of great value that there can be in that, but I also would encourage people to be very conscientious of their their use of that technology because of the negative impacts that it can have. And we just don't have enough research and data yet on what that could be. Um, and, and again, I want to just thank you for talking about that with different people you've had on your podcast so that your listeners can be conscientious of it and be thoughtful about it in their own lives to make sure that um, it isn't something that is going to detract from them living their best life. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's one hell of a way to end a podcast. I like it. Good. Um, <laughs> look guys, I'll, I'll put Sarah's, you know, information in the, in the show notes and how you can follow her and get a hold of her. And if you like that, I mean, obviously look, share the episode goes five stars on iTunes. Um, all that good stuff. If you got constructive criticism, compliments, millennial manhood, CIP at gmail.com. Uh, outside of that, Sarah, it was a pleasure. Thanks. It's always great to see you and had a great conversation today. Awesome. Well, everybody, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.